Hi, I'm Jennifer McGill, former Mouseketeer of the Disney Channel's new Mickey Mouse Club, and you are listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 57 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. We have a first this time. Back in episodes 23 through 25, I had Jennifer McGill, former Mouseketeer from the new Mickey Mouse Club. At the time, she talked about work she was doing on an album, an EP as it turns out, and I told her I'd have her back on the show when it was out. Well, it is, so she is. But we don't just talk about her album. Jennifer has lots of great MMC stories to share with you. When we do get to the album, and even before, she has some very encouraging things to say. So if you're in need of a bit of encouragement today, and I suspect just about everybody is, do yourself a favor and listen to this show. I know it's another long one, but it was right on the cusp where one show was a bit too long, but two would have been too short, so we're just going with the long one. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. There's over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including my own book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. Now this time, Jennifer talks about Lindsay Alley, one of the first of the new Mickey Mouse Club Mouseketeers. The hosts of the MMC, Moeva Pryor, Fred Newman, and Terry Meisner. Wild Thing Weekend, what it was like backstage, especially with the hair and makeup people, and why it was so amazing for her. Chase Hampton, another of the first members of the MMC, what it was like to watch some of the other Mouseketeers go on to such prominent fame. She also talked about what Britney Spears was like on set of the new Mickey Mouse Club, and then going on from there, but she touched on the others too. Joking with Joey Fatone and some more memories of him. Struggling with the fame issue and how she's overcome it. Her self-titled EP, one of the tracks in particular, What I Know and Why It's So Important to Her. What is most meaningful to her to hear from fans. And, of course, shameless plug time. At the end of the interview, I'm also going to play a clip from What I Know for you to give you a little taste of it. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend. And then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever wanted to share something with someone just because? Well, we do a lot. So we started a podcast about, well, whatever we want. My name is Joyce. And I'm her lovely husband, Al. Uh, well, you know what I mean. Hey, it's me, Al. Listen, I'm hijacking the Just Because podcast to start a new series all about the wonderful world of voice acting. Each episode, I'll have a professional voice actor on and ask them some serious, hard-hitting questions to get to the bottom of this in a world 
you know, world. If you've ever wanted to know about the inner workings of this magical and mystical business, tune into Just Because inside the voiceover studio. Tune in at JustBecausePodcast.com and on iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Way back on episodes 23, 24, and 25, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jennifer McGill from the New Mickey Mouse Club. And since it spanned three interviews, as you can tell, we had a great time. Not only did we have a great time, I can tell you that we're listening did too, because those episodes are three of my highest downloaded episodes. And uh, there was the first three-parter, and yet even with that, all three of them are way up there. So obviously you enjoyed it. We even talked in that interview that she was working on uh, some new songs, and whenever those became available, that I'd have her back on the show to talk about it. Well, we are both true to our word. Songs are out, and so she's back on the show. So we're going to talk a little bit about Disney and talk a little bit about this new uh, EP that she's got out. So, Jennifer, welcome back to Stories of the Magic. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be back because I love it that uh, I've got this music out and now we get to talk more about the Mickey Mouse Club as well. Always a fun thing for me to do. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) So why don't we go ahead and start there? Uh, I was re-listening to the old interviews or the old interview that we did and we talked quite a bit about the mickey mouse club and what all you had done on there and your favorite days and everything like that but you know i there was a couple people that you had mentioned that i thought it might be fun to just kind of go down memory lane on them Uh, if first of all if people haven't heard this rather than going back through everything i'm just going to point them back to those three episodes and I'm going to put links in the show notes so that people can find them, and then we can just dive right in. Cool. All right. Now, you had mentioned Lindsay Alley as being on there. I think she was one of the first ones with you that stayed there the whole time and one of your closest friends there. So tell me about some of your time on the show with her. Lindsay Alley and I met at the final audition for the TV series, uh, The New Mickey Mouse Club, in Orlando, Florida. I had been through the movie auditions for the movie that to date has never come to life. Um, And it was called Why Because We Like You. It was about the original Mouseketeers. And I had met uh, Chase Hampton and Tiffany Hale from the movie audition in Los Angeles. But uh, Lindsay Alley, I met on uh, the final audition gathering. It It was a pretty big group of kids. And she was the youngest. I was pretty young. Let's just say I was 11 at that point and Lindsay was 10 because Lindsay had the first birthday as we were actually working on the new Mickey Mouse Club in the pilot. Uh, she had the first birthday. So she was she's, you know, a little a little basically like a year younger than me. And we were kind of the two babies. And what I really remember about Lindsay during that first pilot and the first and second seasons was that not only was she the baby of the group, but she really was the darling of the group. She was such a comedian and so naturally funny. Like she wasn't trying to get attention in the way of, I need people to look at me. She was naturally hilarious. It would just fall out of her, some funny comment or some, and she was always interested in learning more. Like she would make our host, Fred Newman, she would make him 
work with her on on like the honking the horn sound like a like a bicycle honking the horn sound or a clown horn you know whatever you want to call it and and she was always just intrigued with sounds and comic timing and she just loved comedy that was really her shtick i mean she was a very powerful broadway type belter but her thing was how much she entertained everybody around her, even off the camera. So she was just a natural, you know, <laughs> little comedian. Um, I think we used to call her Sally Fields. <laughs> um, so um, she was just adorable. And I remember that she was really close with Moeva, our other our other host, Moeva Pryor, and Rocky Herring on the show. Those were like her two girls. And, um, you know, I just I just loved it that she had, you know, like an, an older mentor type girl. And then, you know, Rocky, even though she was older, it was just cool that she had, you know, a girlfriend. So um, and they probably couldn't be any more different, like except they were both loud, <laughs> like Rocky <laughs> and Lindsay were loud together. It was really fun. So I just remember that as we grew up and the two of us were becoming veterans of the show as far as cast members would uh, leave the show and new cast members would come in and we were still there and we were growing up and, you know, we were kind of growing out and everything, you know, we were changing and just becoming uh, young women. And I just remember that bond was really, it was really great. You know, we lived in Florida um, close to each other. She lived in Lakeland with her family and I lived in Orlando with my family. So we just had a lot in common over the years, I believe is when we really got close because of the years we were on that show together. And what I really love is after the show ended and I was in New York, we would just go in and out of each other's lives. Like as she would come to New York or I would go somewhere else. Like we, you know, we stayed in touch and I was just really comfortable with her because we had known each other from the very beginning and we were the babies and really we never became the oldest women on that show, the oldest teenagers, not women like, Hey, you know, old, old ladies, but we were, we were, <laughs> you know, there were always older ladies on the show than ourselves, you know, but um, she right. is just, and now that we're adults, what I really find is really cute is that, I mean, there, there's actually nothing cute about Lindsay Alley. She is all woman and all sass. Like she is serious, like seriously funny. Um, <laughs> and I'm really way more quiet. You know, you'd think because I'm such a loud singer or what, you know, whatever my, I'm very active on stage, but off stage, especially with Lindsay in the room, I am not, <laughs> I am not that outgoing and she just <laughs> takes care of it. Like she's just always at ease. She doesn't know a stranger. She's so easy to hang out with and she's so loving and caring and super funny still she just is a wisecracker you know just just wisecracks here and there and you know she's one of my oldest friends because of the time that we spent on the show so I just love her you know and I think that she and I have actually shared another kind of post Mickey Mouse Club um, adventure which is you know finding ourselves without fame being a huge part of that journey in comparison to um, some of our, you know, counterparts, our, our co-masketeers and really understanding, you know, we have really strong gifts and, and talents that are welcomed all over the place without, you know, the fame having to be an issue. So it's really embrace, you know, embracing our talents and really enjoying what we have to offer um, as we are, you know? So I think that was something that has bonded us as well. 
Yeah, she sounds like a lot of fun. I should try to get her on the show, too. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know what's funny about that is that you probably have to censor half the stuff she says. She's, like, crazy. <laughs> like, she's crazy funny. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, I'm just, you know, I don't even try to compete. Like, I just let her, I just let her go for it, you know, because she's so just, ah, she's, she, she makes me laugh and blush pretty much. I can't go through a conversation with her without laughing and blushing all the time, you know, because <laughs> she's just sassafras. She's a sassy comedian, you know, and she owns it. So, yeah, but I mean, that would be, you would, you would basically be doing what I do. You'd be laughing and blushing just basically the whole, the whole show, but she's fabulous. Yes, please. You should get her on the show. She's awesome. And I'm okay with laughing and blushing and then having to edit it. Exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. She might be a little more work, but it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll be interviewing Rolly Crump, the Imagineer uh, pretty soon. And he's like 85 now or something like that. And he tends to be the same way. Ooh. And I figure, you know what? He's 85. I'm just not going to tell him what to do. That's true. true. (laughs) And and I'll work with it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, You also mentioned the hosts of the show, and I realized we didn't talk about them at all last time. Mm -hmm. What are your memories like of working with, you know, kind of the adults that were on stage with you? You know, I, I think that having all those young kids together with the singing and dancing and acting just coming out of us all the time as far as what we were called to do and what we were usually doing in each other's presence on the set. It was a very interesting addition to have not as musical adults be a part of the cast, like with the acting and the intros and the outros, like they were cast members, but you know, there were certain parts where they didn't necessarily join us as much. And so in a way I didn't, I didn't see them as much as I saw the kids because, you know, they weren't necessarily in, in the dance numbers. I think Moeva did Aiko Aiko, which I think aired, <laughs> you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes in the very beginning, I forget what was in the pilot and what actually aired, but um, Moeva did Aiko Aiko. And then, um, you know, Fred did some spoofs as far as, you know, he might've impersonated Barry Manilow. I'm not saying he did. I can't even remember because sometimes they did spoofs that didn't make it, but they'd make it on our, um, rap party videotapes, you know? And so I can't remember, but, but let's just <laughs> say Fred could sing, you know, Fred could sing and he would use it for comedy and, and for, um, spoofs and parodies. And, um, you know, Mueva, I probably only heard her sing the one time with the Ico Ico dance we did, which I loved that dance. But that was very early on. And, you know, then we had Terry. Um, <laughs> I can't remember her last name. That's not good. But I was young. I was young, everybody. I was young. <laughs> we'll give you a pass. Okay, thank you. I never <laughs> said her name. So we'll just say we had Terry on the show. Uh, <laughs> we had Terry on the show who was so delightful. She was, she had an elastic face. And I love elastic faces. They're so entertaining. And she would just, you know, spin off accents and they'd put her in all these wigs and costumes and she just would take on all these different personas. She was very gifted in all these different characters and funny elastic faces and comedy and comic timing. Um, I really enjoyed you know, working with her. And at the time I was actually a teenager and I, I just felt like I think I was more interactive with the adults at that time. Uh, because mm-hmm. when I was little, I really was little and I didn't, I just didn't socialize much. I was actually very shy 
when I didn't have a job to do. I was very shy and just a little introspective. And um, like I said, Lindsay and Moeva would just go, you know, crack up together and just have this really great like interaction. And I was just a little more still, you know, or a lot more still. So I don't have that many memories um, with Moeva in that offset kind of interaction type way. So I love Terry and, and I love Moeva and Fred. Um, we did in the very beginning go on a camping trip. We did a camping trip. I don't remember where with Fred and Moeva and maybe like one more parent as chaperones. And basically all the mouse, like 13 of us, let's say went into like a boy's cabin and a girl's cabin on some river. And there was canoeing and there was fishing and there was like a campfire. And I don't know, but it was like based on the videotape that we, you know, had been given at the rap party of, we called it wild thing weekend. My goodness, <laughs> I would not like, I could not imagine organizing all of us and that like nobody got eaten by a crocodile and nobody got drowned or burned or lost or, you know, stolen. I can't believe that we all survived just based on my memories of it. But my one story is that, <laughs> um, Moeva, I did not know wore a wig on the show. Her beautiful hair, like all that hair that she had, you know, it wasn't always with her. <laughs> <laughs> and I being a sheltered little girl, you know, from my little town, I had never seen someone take their hair off and like wash it in a, in a sink or whatever, rinse it out. <laughs> I had never <laughs> seen that happen. And I had at least done a season, if not like, you know, the pilot in the season and maybe season two, I don't, I don't remember I just was shocked when she showed up at, at camp with, you know, a haircut, I thought. And there <laughs> she was. So camping with Moeva, you know, I learned a lot about her on the trip and she was fabulous. We did this, we did this camp, uh, sorry, we did this canoeing trip where I was with Didi and Didi to this day brings up this story with me when we, when we see each other. Um, so Didi and I were partners in our canoe. And we kind of got lost or we got behind, but we were all by ourselves for hours. And, and we're like 12 or 13, okay? So the, the little 12-year-old and the not too much older 13-year-old were on the river in a canoe by ourselves with like gummy bears or something. You know what I mean? But like Tiffany and Brandy were in a canoe. I don't know where everyone else was, but people were just like lost or just, you know, going down the river all by themselves. And I know that Dee Dee had had it with me. I don't know what I was doing. I can't remember, but we were just done. We were over it. We were tired. We were over it, but like we survived, you know, stuff like that. You, you just don't really think that's ever a good idea anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like this was like, right. you know, children of the eighties were allowed to get, you know, go bike riding after, you know, you, you come home when the street lamp comes on. Like that was sort of what we were, we were out there doing, you know, just really not supervised. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that was also the time where on the set of the Mickey Mouse Club or anywhere for that matter, we had no like the kids didn't have beepers. We didn't have GPS or cell phones or I mean, like key cards. You could not track us if we didn't want you to. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it was just a time of trust and, you know, a different kind of faith based taking care of kids, you know, and I'm sure like I, I know that the, the Mouska parents eventually. I'm sure heard our stories about the river and about whatever else was going on, but just, <laughs> have they known? 
<laughs> you know, all that w- they would have that would have uh, been happening. I'm sure that they would have been a lot more worried, you know, given given the kids to Fred and Mueva. <laughs> Mickey Mouse Club may not have lasted I, quite as long. I know. <laughs> so you know, now that it's been a bajillion years since it happened, you know, everybody's fine. But um, it was super funny. But yeah, so so we came back. No one was eaten by a crocodile or got stolen, you know, and. I'm I'm really thankful for that. But anyway, that was just that was probably the most time I'd spent with Moeva. But Terry, you know, because I was an older young professional and just, you know, retained things differently, she was she was just a really cool character actress. I really enjoyed watching her work. And um, she was super fun, like in the she was re- really good friends with all the hair and hair and makeup ladies like they would just crack up. And it was just a wonderful for me. I loved backstage as much as I loved on stage um, for completely different reasons. You know, I really enjoyed producing something from myself with others on stage, but I loved the personalities, like just being a voyeur almost, just sitting in the makeup chair or the hair chair and just listening to the conversations and the people and um, the, you know, just everything that would happen around me, you know, those grown women who were doing our hair and makeup or Terry and Maweva, like they were all just su- such amazing presences, if you will, to such a young little person like myself who had come from such a small town. I really just enjoyed being in the room with a lot of those people and like all the fun music we'd play. It was just a little party, you know, and I do, I do take that for granted sometimes. Like, I don't always think about the hair and makeup room as a big party. I mean, I always think of it fondly, but I I had a whole lot of amazing people around me having fun at work, you know, like we were all pretty, pretty fun people. Um, So I I was really blessed to have the adults, like all the females and stuff that I had on that set, um, including Moeva and Terry, you know, it was a really great group of, of women to work with. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds like it would have been really entertaining, and yet definitely a lot of you had to be there kinds of things. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, yes, yes, you did have to be there. But yes, yes, entertaining. It's like if you walked into different people's offices at a, at a company, and every one of the offices had about five people in it doing work, but jamming out to Madonna. <laughs> and like every five seconds, checking their hair and makeup. <laughs> That was like what the offices were like as far as the hair and makeup room. And, you know, in our dressing rooms, you know, one year, every year was different with those dressing rooms. Like we had so many different locations. Our first dressing room was across the street. Like if you, if you look at Hollywood studios today and I took some pictures there and put them on Facebook, I guess last year when I was there, I stood in the very place that my school trailer was at or my, my first dressing room. This is like the pilot of the new Mickey Mouse club when the new kids on the block came and, and filmed the first time. And I had like an, an airbrushed sweater jacket as my Mickey Mouse club jacket, which I still own. And I took a picture. I brought that very sweater jacket to Hollywood studios and stood in the place where I was given it (laughs) and put it on for the first time. And I took a picture. And so if you walk down the hallway, if you will, of that alley of where toy story would be on your right. And then Mm -hmm. there's a gift shop to your left, basically somewhere at the entrance of that gift shop is where my first dressing room was, but it was pretty elaborate as far as, you know, you had all of wardrobe in there, but hair and makeup would kind of be in there a lot too. And the wardrobe ladies, though they were, you know, less music, maybe they were just as entertaining, you know, and we saw them just as much because we were always having fittings 
And they were always just like, oh, you're so lovely and you're this and you're that. Like they were all so, so fun to work with and, and usually in a great mood, you know, and, <laughs> and you kind of have to be with that many people. It's, it's a lot to concentrate on. You know, you've got to keep up spirits um, with so many different personalities. And we just, we were really blessed to have a really positive group of people to work with. Disney did a very good job finding them. But that was, I mean, our first dressing room was right there across from Toy Story. And then for a while, there was a hockey, like a skating rink, kind of hockey practice area under the water tower of, um, at the time, MGM. And our trailers were over there for school. I'm sorry, for our dressing rooms. Um, we also had dressing rooms, like, actually right off the stage upstairs, like, I don't know, Studio 3. That was another, like, first dressing room experience where I had a phone in the dressing room and Dee Dee and I shared a room. And, you know, just, cra- just crazy how many places they moved us. <laughs> yeah. And, and, then, and then all the different stuff we'd have in those things. Like, sometimes we'd have a phone. Sometimes it would be, like, a whole bathroom. Sometimes we wouldn't have a bathroom. Or there'd be arcade games in one dressing room or like an Atari or, or nothing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, like every year it was just, what are we going to get? Like, what's, what's the situation going to be? It was like dorm rooms every year. It's like, all right, what's this college year going to be like, you know, how are we going to decorate our place and who's with who, how many girls are in one room? Do we get the big bathroom, you know? <laughs> right. So, but yeah, it was just a whole series of rooms and each one of them, as far as how I would compartmentalize I, visually, I remember, Walking down a hall and going, okay, that's the older guy's room. That's the younger guy's room. Okay, that's the older girl's room. That's the younger girl's room. That's the green room. Oop, hair and makeup trailer. You know, every one of them, no matter what went on in the room, I, I would associate them with a group of people, you know. And uh, pretty much it was it was a party in pretty much every room in a good way. Like, just really fun. <laughs> really fun personalities. That sounds like a great environment. It was very creative. I mean, we wrote little songs. I mean, I'm telling you, like, we, yeah, I could go on and on, but I will say <laughs> there was a moment where when Star, uh, Star Search was taping on a soundstage next to us on our lunch break, all of us in rollers or whatever, a whole bunch of us, like guys and girls, but the girls who needed rollers, once we were done with school, we'd go get our hair rolled and we'd keep it in our, our hair for a while. And during lunch, we would go watch the practice, like the blocking and the practice shoots for star search. And most of the time they would be practicing with the models and they wouldn't look anything like they would look later on the show when they were in hair and makeup. And we would just watch the feed from them, like practicing to tape and stuff. That would be our entertainment. (laughs) You know, it's just watching star search just on live feed, not anything you'd ever see broadcast. So it was very, it was a surreal set of options that we had day to day to entertain ourselves, you know? Yeah. That's the kind of thing that most people probably can't ever say that they've done. No, it just options alone. Just the people we like having Rona and Blaine make little songs and sing them to us or, you know, the ping pong table or watching the star search, you know, blocking or hair and makeup ladies dancing to Madonna, you know, I mean, just the stuff that we would go through for entertainment was pretty one of a kind types of options. (laughs) Yeah. No. And speaking of entertaining, mm-hmm. back in that first interview, you told me a story about the first time that you met Chase Hampton. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about him being on the show. Awesome. Well, you know what's funny is I just saw his mother just like two days ago um, in <laughs> Florida, and I told her that story because she was not at that competition 
when I turned 10 years old and Chase was probably 11 or 12 and um, you know how he was trying to psych me out in the competition and she had, she, she wasn't there. Um, he was with his dad. And so um, she had never heard that story. And she was like, I just, Oh my goodness. You know, like, Oh my goodness. And I said, <laughs> well, obviously it didn't stick as some sort of, persona because I, I think he's excellent, you know, and I told her, I said, I've seen video footage from when he sang, you know, a very patriotic song during the contest. And he was excellent. Like being, being a vocal coach for so many years now and seeing his presentation at only like 12 ish years old, I was very impressed, you know, even now just looking back on this very old footage. And so, yeah, Chase Hampton, he is one of them, uh, of the originals and of the veterans who that would be a word I would use for him. You know, he always wanted to be excellent. He was very hypersensitive to detail and very good at what he did. He was a triple threat, but I do remember in the very beginning, they were trying to get him kind of beefed up on hip hop, right? Like he, like a hip hop dance move stuff. He had all these mad skills with like jazz and tap. Like he was so smart, but he had never had a lot of experience just absorbing this kind of hip hop, like kind of hunched over pop lock kind of movement. And we had a lot of training once we were cast officially as Mouseketeers. We went through a boot camp where we just had dance class for the sake of dance class. And I have footage <laughs> that I, again, watched a few years ago, which helped me remember a lot of him, like, like Albert and Damon were like kicking it. They were like doing their pop locks and all those moves and the kid and play and like the running man and all this stuff, like real natural vibe going on. But Chase was still trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like he'd be like a half second behind something and just trying to figure it out. But if you look at the shows, you would never know that that wasn't what he had been doing for a long time because it took me looking at those old, that old footage of us just doing boot camp to realize how much he learned and adjusted in such a short amount of time. So it just proves what I always thought about him in general, that he was all about being excellent. You know, he, he didn't want to do half of a job of anything and he really took it seriously, you know, in a very professional way. So I have nothing but respect for Chase's talent and, you know, his ideals on how he wants to to do everything. And I appreciate that about him. And, you know, Chase through the years, you know, being on the show and then, you know, he left to be in the party. So I didn't get to see him as much then while he was away. But I kind of looked up to him as a really unique and creative guy. I mean, he thought outside the box. Uh, I remember in the beginning when our show was more year round, as far as our production schedule, um, they would include all of the holidays, you know, and I think, I honestly think that corporate decided to, you know, maybe squash the holiday time of our working schedule because it was too many kids and too many holidays and too many gifts and too many cards. You know, it was, it was, <laughs> there was a lot going on in the, in all the, our little mailboxes. So, um, yeah. but the one year that we did celebrate Halloween on the set, 
he came in on his stilts because that was an, yet another thing that he did. He loved juggling and stilt work and rollerblading and, you know, all this, uh, this extra stuff that, you know, maybe didn't make it onto the show. But he came in on stilts and he had this long black robe and probably a mask. And he was this really foreboding character a million miles high with, you know, his whole like he was like hunched his shoulders over. and He was just so good at it, you know, and I, I just remember that, you know, totally being creeped out as a kid. But he just did it so well. He was excellent at creeping me out, you know, and, and it was so <laughs> creative. Like it wasn't just a creepy costume or a bloody costume. He was on stilts and with this whole get up, you know, so. And I don't think that's ever stopped. I think he has always strived for excellence and really paying attention to detail. And um, when he came back to the show after the party had toured, I love that I actually I actually got to know him better. Like we had a better time of things then because I think the age difference wasn't as important anymore. I mean, as, as critical because, you know, when you're 12 and you're 14, that's just different than if you're 16 and 18, I think, um, or something like that. So Mm -hmm. we just, you know, we got along. I think my favorite thing that we did towards the, uh, you know, the last season of the show was the Vikings and I'm not as, I'm not like, a huge accent person per se. And I try to do my best, uh, I guess, Norwegian accent or something. But I mean, that was just a really funny, that was just a really funny skit because Chase and I had to quickly, like in between, like when, while a scene was going on, we had to run into one of the close dressing rooms and get in the shower together with our clothes on just to get wet enough quickly enough to get back on stage as if we had just fallen into the ocean or something and like, ah, we're back, you know? So, I mean, it was just, it was just really funny. We have a picture of it. Like they're holding our mic packs as we're trying to get in the shower together. And we have a picture of the Polaroid <laughs> in our big blonde wigs and Norwegian like horn hats. And it, it was just, you know, it was, it was really fun. And we also did a, a skit called Guybrary where, you know, I'd open up these different panels of books and he was my, um, I don't even know. I don't even remember the category if it was like retro or rock, but he was like this rock dude with this really long red chase hair wig. Like it was just really long and it was like, it's awesome. And he couldn't hear anything. And, um, he was just really fun to work with. And then after all of that, of course, just, just seeing him as someone I looked up to on the show, then what's super cool is chase to date is the only Mouseketeer who's texted me about my album. And he, he immediately, like, I think that the day after it was released, he just texted me and just, you know, just loved on me as a brother. You know, he just said something like, I'm really proud of you. I love it. You know, you're, you're great. Just think, you know, yay, whatever he said. And then we, you know, we talked a little bit back and forth and I just said, you know, I, I love you. We've been more loving to each other in recent years than, you know, all the times on the show when it was just, we didn't hang out as much then. Uh, We were always around each other, but he's been especially heartfelt towards me. And, um, I remember the first time that he like, you know, kind of got back into, you know, us communicating. I was almost like surprised that he thought so lovingly of me. Cause you just, again, us little kids, like in my perspective from where I was coming from as such a young Mouseketeer and I wasn't part of the cool kids. And he really did have a click, you know, he had Damon and Albert, like they were this threesome of like really cool guys. And there was Tiffany and Brandy and Dee Dee as the three cool girls and lots of other, you know, Mouseketeers had their own niche, but I, I really was kind of by myself in a lot of ways. And so it always instinctively surprises me 
that anyone would single me out and say, you know, gosh, you're, you know, you're an angel or I love you or you were so this or that, you know, it's not that I don't believe them, but you know, he really did impact me in, in recent years being that way with me, not because I didn't think he, he loved me or cared about me, but you just don't expect these people to say that when you grew up with them, looking up at them as these really cool kid mouseketeers, you know, I mean, that child kind of comes out your first instinct or my first instinct is to go, he said that, or gosh, he thinks that way about me. You know, it's like really sweet. So he stands out to me in that category as the most loving guy mouseketeer recently coming in and talking with me. And, and Dee Dee is his counterpart in that she is so loving towards me, always bringing up the canoe story. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we were we were each other's partners in a, in the dressing room during the pilot like we were the first roommates she and I had had our dressing room together and that was our first dressing room so you know she would be the little lady mouseketeer who who's loving on me too but she was always very loving you know what I mean and so so kind of gentle and that doesn't mean that I don't ever hear from any mouseketeer and that they never you know give me props or support me but those two in particular there's just a, a particular sweetness about our communication that really moves me. You know, I'm trying not to tear up at this very moment. So they're just very special, you know, and we were all veterans, you know, we were all originals and that that's my family, you know, as far as any job that I've had since then, I mean, that was my first job. So yeah, any job since then, <laughs> you know, but, but no other group of people can move me to that degree. And that's just something that won't ever change. I'm pretty sure. So it's even more special because it's those guys loving on me. So sure. That's Chase Hampton, ladies and gentlemen. He is a sweetheart and an excellent, excellent professional. The end. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing those memories and being that, you know, that personal about it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I want to ask one other question that's sort of along the personal Mickey Mouse Club lines. And then I really want to get into talking sure. about the album for a little while. Of course, when most people think of the new Mickey Mouse Club and the the more famous people that came from it. We think about the ones you had mentioned, you know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake and, and all of them. What was it like for you in particular, and if you know really about any of the others, to see, you know, coming out of that same environment and but then seeing them go on to these very public, prominent careers where, you know, maybe the rest of you had some success, but not in the same limelight kind of way. What was that like? I remember I was in college when stuff first started happening, if you will. I first remember NSYNC and they were gearing up for a European tour. And so that from that group, I had, you know, previously known Justin and JC from the Mickey Mouse Club. And I also knew Joey Fatone from my high school. You know, I knew him the summer after eighth grade through now. Like we went to prom together in high school twice, just as friends. We were in musicals together. We hung out. You know what I mean? Like I, I was there when he first started dating his now wife in 10th grade. So it was, it was very not I mean, it was very weird <laughs> for <laughs> Joey, you know, to be like, in, I mean, not, it wasn't weird for him to be in a group because at the time it wasn't in sync as we know it now. It was this group with two of my other, you know, people plus, you know, two other guys um, that, that were going to go do this European thing. So it was like 
interesting and cool, but I didn't have anything else to base it off of except for maybe a new kids on the block type of thing, you know, but, but NSYNC wasn't well known at that time. So I remember on a college break, um, going over to the NSYNC house, quote unquote, that was in Orlando and, and I would visit with them and they were, they'd go back out on the pool deck and they would practice their dances you know, and I would see how maybe in the very, very beginning of rehearsal times, maybe not everyone was in sync. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying maybe that was what was happening. Um, But again, it's rehearsal and how that, you know, definitely changed once, you know, they, they got broadcast anywhere. And, And I just remember talking with Justin's mom about the upcoming European tour, you know, and I would, I went hang out with, with Justin and JC and just talk about like their travels and like what they were doing. And, you know, I got like little CDs. Like, I think I got a CD in the shape of a heart. That was the tearing up my heart promo CD. And I still haven't opened it. It's in the shape of this red heart. It's a CD that's in the shape of a heart and it's all, you know, packaged and I still have it. Wow. I'm sure it's probably a collector's item at this point. <laughs> yeah. But um, I have their European CD. Like, I don't know, J- Justin's mom just gave me all this stuff at the time. And anyway, so I would listen to their CD when I was in college, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they were on, you know, a Disney special. And then it became this American thing. And, you know, they got huge. And any of them, you know, Justin on his own in later years. And, the, you know, as far as a progression, you know, from out of that. I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, Brittany was a very hard worker when she was a little girl. Um, she was very reserved off stage, but then she was just, she would just kill it like on stage. She would just sort of burst into her onstage persona and really just give it 110%. And then she'd kind of like go back to being a very normal kind of still little girl who would just kind of like, you know, take things in. And she, you know, she definitely had a difference and her onstage and offstage personality, but she was just such a hard worker and very much like Chase as far as attention to detail, execute it well, excellence, you know, she did her thing. And so I wasn't surprised that, you know, she, you know, being equipped with, you know, being a minor, having, I don't know, her parents or a guardian to go out there with her to LA to like get the job done, to get, you know, do what it needed to take to, to get into this project and really see it through. She was such a hard worker and all that dancing. Like, I, I just am not surprised that it, that it worked out for her. You know what I'm saying? Raw talent matters, but there's so much that you have to put into it and it's your team. There's so many aspects that, you know, the general population may not take into consideration when it comes to becoming a success as a celebrity and then maintaining yourself. You know, there's a lot of elements that a lot of us will never firsthand know about to the degree at which, you know, these, these former Mouseketeer celebrities, um, you know, have to go through on a daily basis just to maintain themselves and maintain their career. But at the time when everything was first starting, I wasn't surprised that Brittany or Christina or NSYNC were making it. Because I had seen them in their elements on the show. And, you know, Joey, again, like such a personality. I wasn't surprised. (laughs) I used to joke with him. I said, Joey, you were surrounded with girls and you had people driving you everywhere you needed to go in high school. Why should it not be any different? (laughs) Like now that you're a pop star, you're surrounded with girls and you have a chauffeur. It's the same. (laughs) So, you know, it's like a lot of this did not come to a surprise to me. But I do remember joking with people while I was kind of in the middle of college and then graduating 
that I felt like a really proud grandma <laughs> because I would just <laughs> clip all these articles and like I saved Britney's Rolling Stone magazine, you know, and whatever I saw. And I had all these videotapes. My mother would tape anything that came on about NSYNC or whatever. And I would watch them and like watch the videos. And I'm very into pop music. So it was a genre that I had no problem paying attention to, you know. And then for me, this wasn't about them, but I had to later, right after college, deal with issues of being compared to them in general, just the world, and being older sounding, you know, I, I have a deeper, you know, more mature sound in certain ways as far as the pop music that was happening at the time. And I was older than what record companies were signing um, at the time. Like, let's say you needed to be like maybe 16 and I was 21 or so. And so I actually dealt with a lot of closed doors when it came to record deals, because that's what I thought I would be doing after college was, you know, making an album. That was a dream of mine to do that. And I just realized that, you know, I was more of an Alanis Morissette at the time and bubblegum pop was where it was at. And so I was at 21. I was too old. I was too mature sounding. I was too strong. <laughs> for a record deal, you know, at 21. And, you know, I was adorable, <laughs> but I was just, you know, I just wasn't the right fit for that time. And so being that bad timing as it was, I had to deal with a lot of unfortunate comparison that I would have never wanted to do to myself or have happened from others, comparing me to the celebrities who came out of the Mickey Mouse Club, because you can't help but feel like, you're failing at something that you've been dreaming of doing and have actually done professionally and been trained to do for over half of your lifetime. So it was difficult to assess, you know, well, where's my place? You know, it was difficult to feel lost having the talent that I had and the expertise and the wisdom beyond my years based on the professional world that I had come from knowing so much and being able to give so much, but really having no outlet for the first time since I was little uh, was very difficult for me. So I did struggle with this celebrity or this fame issue that I did not have, or I had an issue. <laughs> I had a fame issue. Um, I was on the wrong side of it at the time, you know, and I had to deal with that, you know, and I do love speaking about it now because I don't deal with that issue anymore. I don't have what I call, I've broken the curse of fame on myself. Fame doesn't have to be a curse, but when it affects you or you want it beyond and more than Anything that has to do with your actual talent, it becomes a curse because you live for the fame instead of live for the gift of your talent. And I had to learn that the hard way. And having survived all of that and really broken that curse, I try to encourage others to remember why they were given their gifts in the first place, because there's a whole other side of the story of being famous that I've only had only droplets of what actually, of course, there is to know about it as far as... Um, you know, the celebrities I've been able to talk to about it over the years and Joey, I call <laughs> the celebrities and Joey. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. So no, including Joey Fatone, who did not come from the Mickey Mouse Club, but was a huge fan. You know, we were all, yeah, we were all in, in that together. You know, they, he'd go to uh, audience like shoots and stuff with the Mickey Mouse Club. And anyway, he's, you know, one of my friends that, that wasn't on the Mickey Mouse Club that I talked to about that stuff sometimes too. And 
there's just, I just only know bits and pieces of everything that you, you just have to go through. And even just knowing the little bit that I know, I understand now that I really was being taken care of, um, being saved from the limelight and the spotlight for me, right? Like for my personality, I just think I'm way too sensitive for a whole lot of the drama and maintenance that can come from that. And at the time, I don't believe I could have handled it. So I am grateful in the long run that those doors were shut for me. And I can say now on the other end of it that I really enjoy the celebrity of these Mouseketeers. I really enjoy, you know, their music. And I I love, even if it's from afar, supporting them and possibly loving on them from afar when others might have comments or opinions on how they're maintaining themselves. It, because I know that it's a small family where we come from. And I guess I'm just loyal like that. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. You know, like I'm okay with being this little grandmother all the way over here, clipping articles and saying, well, she was always a hard worker and well, you know, he was always that good. And well, he's only gotten better and, you know, he's close with his mother and that's probably why he's well-grounded. And, you know, I enjoy bringing up positive things, you know, and I don't know, I just, I enjoy contributing even if it's from afar. So I'm proud to say that I was very excited when each one of the now celebrities began their walk of fame. And on the other side of it to date, I have come around again, being very, very supportive and wanting to always be a supportive voice in each of their corners. Um, even if it's from afar because there are very few of us who would be able to understand where each of them came from. I just always want to be able to be a safe place for any, any and all Mouska celebrities, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I just, that, that warms my heart thinking that I would be able to provide that someday. So I'm really proud of all of them. I could not imagine no matter how much talent I have or how much work ethic I have, I can't say that I've ever devoted as much and sacrificed as much and accomplished as much in the world as they have had because of this exposure that they've been able to get with their music and stuff. So I can only imagine how hard that must have been to get through all of that. So I have nothing but love for all those celebrities. And, you know, I think we should all have a party so I can love on them. <laughs> I think that's a great plan. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think I need to have an encouragement party. I bet all of them right now are, are feeling their ears tickle and go, you know what? I think I need to call Jen McGill for some encouragement. I think that's happening. I think my phone's going to start ringing any minute now. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Let's just believe that. <laughs> okay, yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Well, hopefully they can wait a little while. Oh, I know. So that you can talk a little bit about your EP that was just released. You know, as of, we're recording this on April 15th. And so it just came out just that's about a week ago. Day, everybody. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> At least we had fun yeah, on it. I don't know about anybody else. I right. hope it went well for everyone. That's right. So it's been out for just about a week now. So go ahead and tell us about it, please. Yes. Well, there are three new songs. And when I say new, I mean that we have two new songs and one that was uh, released for a limited time that has been reproduced and re-recorded, all new vocals. So really, it's three new songs. I have Fallen Angels, This Little Light, and what I know. And um, each one of those songs, they represent finally a place 
where my heart and my belief system and my music and my production, my team, my striving for excellence, it's all represented in these three songs. I'm finally able to say, like, and it's such a huge relief for me to be able to say, when someone asks me about music, asks me about like, well, you know, can I get your stuff somewhere? Do you have an album? Is I can let them know on iTunes, you can find the EP entitled Jennifer McGill. And no matter how far down the road I get with my music, these songs will always represent my heart and my heart for encouraging others. So I'm so relieved that they are available and will not be a limited edition type of situation like the previous EP was for um, Hanging On For Dear Life and This Little Light originally. So I'm just so excited. Fallen Angels and What I Know are both about the idea of no matter how lost or maybe at the bottom you feel, no matter how much you feel like you've fallen away, things are overpowering you, you may not know much about what is to come or about what you believe, but you know Basically, what I know says, what I know is you, my God, are real no matter how I feel. You've never let me go. So it's like just that basic idea, that basic structure of you're real and you have me, right? Because that's sometimes what people have to hold on to. And I really have a heart for those who are just clinging and pardon the pun, but hanging on for dear life. It started with the song Hanging On For Dear Life, which more to come, we will reproduce and re-record that one as well and release it. That's on our list. Um, Good. Yeah. And really, it started with that song because no song has ever impacted a fan base and no song have I ever been associated with more than Hanging On For Dear Life. And so that theme, it makes perfect sense to me that that theme is is included in this EP with what I know and Fallen Angel. It's basically, you know, dust off your wings and get ready to fly. It, I mean, it's just, it, it's okay that you're not perfect and it's okay that you have questions and that, that you have emotions that aren't positive. <laughs> you know, it's okay that, that maybe something's falling or failing. It doesn't change that God is real and that he has you you know, that he's always good. So, you know, of course, you know, I, I'm very open about, you know, being a Christian and more, more specifically being a follower of Jesus, because I don't want any kind of modern day religion or rich ritual kind of the way we used to practice Christianity or whatever. I don't want that to, to get entangled in what these songs are about are not about a brand of Christianity, you know, a section of it. It's about my belief in the one, you know, the one who saves me and the one who, who loves me. And I, I put that into my music, but I want to make sure, you know, and this is from the heart. I did not grow up, I, I guess, listening to a lot of um, Christian music. I grew up, you know, because it was all over television. I grew up singing pop music. You know, I grew up imitating pop singers and that's what I listened to. And it was R and B and pop. And that's what I heard most of. And so I try to make sure that I mean, I, I do make sure <laughs> I don't try. I succeed in making sure that anything I put out, I would want to jam to myself or I would respond to for real. I don't put something out because it sounds soothing or because it plays at a message. I make sure that the lyrics are realistic and something that I can jam out to or groove to so that it's got a really great blend of my pop R&B gospel background 
but the message is from my heart and from my belief system. And I believe that if the idea is to encourage that reaches pretty far, you know, it's like, you can be like, this is cool music, but when you really listen to the words, you're going to get a picker upper for the day. You're going to get, you know, more encouragement and, you know, you could be renewed. Of course, I'm, I'm such a logical, practical thinker. Of course, I want my songs to be useful as well as just good. <laughs> sure. You know? So like, of course, I have to do like not just one thing in, in my songs, but that's just who I am these days. Like, I really just want to embrace like, you know, where I come from. You know, I come from a family of teachers and builders and I want to build amazing songs and I want them to teach and I want them to encourage and benefit. You know, I want to have a servant heart in my music, but I want it to be kick like I want it to kick you know so um, I think we accomplished that I'm really proud of these three songs Jeff Savage who produced all three did an amazing job and you know we're we're in love with these songs and it's just the beginning way more to come I already have ideas for you know four more including hanging on for dear life that we would like to to add so hopefully we'll have you know another collection of songs very soon but there's so much going on. I've actually just debuted the three songs this last weekend um, in Florida at three different venues. And it's been really exciting to hear the feedback and the reception, especially for what I know. It's becoming a healing song. Twice in a row, I sang it for a group that I knew there were people in the audience dealing with cancer. And it really affected the way that I sang it. It was really amazing, the experience that I had delivering these songs live. So I'm really thirsty for it now to start performing them out and really allowing them to, you know, do what they were made to do. So I just, I couldn't be more excited and proud of these songs because they'll be there always. And they're just, they're such important lyrics and they're really sung from the heart. So anyway, just excellent, excellent job with my team. You know, Jeff Savage was amazing and more to come. Fantastic. Now, did you write these? Um, I didn't write them. Jeff co-wrote This Little Light. Okay. Then our friend Aaron Rice brought our attention to Fallen Angels and What I Know, and I fell in love with them. I mean, Aaron Rice really gets, um, he really gets my voice and he gets my heart as far as, you know, lyrically. And so he suggested these songs and I couldn't be more grateful that he really thought that my voice and my heart would be a good match to these. And, you know, he's absolutely right. And Jeff, you know, did his magic and um, I sang my heart out and, you know, there we go. But um, yeah, they're available on iTunes as well as Amazon. And, um, you know, feel free to leave comments. We love comments. You know, I just remember with, with hanging on for dear life, it was never really just, you did an awesome job on that song. I would get everybody's backstory. Like this helped me get through my grandmother's death. This helped me get through this. That was, you know, the song that got me through my teenage years. And I want my music to keep doing that. I don't want someone to just be like, wow, that one note you did, you killed it. I want them to be like, you sang this at that benefit where I was dealing with, you know, cancer and now I'm in remission or, you know, my, my partner, you know, just found out such and such, like, like whatever the trials and tribulations are, I want these songs to connect with them like hanging on for dear life did, which was really at the beginning of my career. Right. You know, so I've come full circle in a very, very divine way. And I just can't wait to share more of that. Yeah. Speaking as someone who, you know, has preached quite a bit and then not too long ago wrote a book, which while I'm on that real quick, I want to make sure that I here publicly thank you for endorsing it. 
Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate you. I love it. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's proudly displayed on my bookshelf. And I love that. Yeah, I, I've never thought of that before. I mean, the idea of that book, um, very, very brilliant. And something that I definitely connect to having a lot of experience in both arenas. And just thinking, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I totally see how that. Yeah, I mean, again, like, just great idea. So I happily endorse your book. Thank you. And when I did that, I went through kind of the same sort of thing that you did through your uh, making of these songs, where it's like, this really means a lot to me, and I'm really putting everything into it. And then you put it out and hope that people respond. And then when they do, like you said, it's great to, for them to say, wow, I really like that song. But what you really want, like what tells you that it accomplished what you wanted it to do is when they give you that backstory. And they say, not only was it done well, but it was important to me. It did something significant mm -hmm. in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that means that it went beyond just what you could do with it. It went on and served and blessed and gave back beyond the work you put into it. Right. You know, and, and that's what a servant heart is all about. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to make sure that as many people as possible can hear these songs that you've done. I really enjoy them. Thank you. And so I'll have the links in the show notes for iTunes and for Amazon so that people can get them. And they're, if, actually, you know, I'm not even going to try to explain who they're good to listen to. Just listen to the preview that you get. And it's going to be enough <laughs> to, to inspire you, to move you, to say, you know what, I want to hear this whole thing. And then I want to hear it again, and I want to hear it again, and then I want to tell other people that need, they need to listen to it. Thank you. Yeah, it's very uplifting. It really is. Like, I, you know, I could listen to what I know a thousand times, and I've never really – I'm pretty sure most artists feel this way. After they've evaluated and tweaked and just, you know, gotten the music out, I don't know if most artists jam out to their own stuff all the time. I'm not saying it's bad or good, but I can't really listen to myself or watch myself all the time for entertainment. You know, I, I get self-conscious, but, mm -hmm. but the song, what I know, because it was so guttural, if you will, because it represents so much strife and really kind of, you know, rebirth after the ashes, if you will, like just basically springing forth through like your darkest most difficult moments and holding on to what you know is true, which is life and love, you know, all this stuff that you cling to. Um, because vocally, I guess I illustrated that so emotionally and passionately. I actually forget that it's me. Like I really am. I really am brought into the song over and over and over again. That song brings me into it because of the words and the way that I delivered it. And I just forget it's me. And I really, really am impacted by that song every time I listen to it. And it's really the only one I can say that about because you get it. If you're an artist, like it makes sense that, yeah, I mean, I have, I own my music. Like I bought, I buy it on iTunes so that I have the picture. I know this is funny. Jeff makes fun of me for buying my own, my own album, but I like the picture to go with it in my iTunes. I like to see the album cover. Right. Right. You know, so I like putting all that together, but I don't like jam out to my own stuff all the time even though I have all of it but that song is very special but yeah this whole album is very special because it's been coming for a long time and if it had been done any earlier speaking of patience and why did stuff take so long and you know I get a lot of that and I get it like it's a compliment that people have been impatient on my behalf for stuff to come out but it really is 
God's timing because this is God's music. You know, I'm, I am God's therefore, (laughs) (laughs) you know, since I'm his and it's his music and it's his timing, this album would not be what it is today at any other time in my life. And so I am just happy that this has come to pass, that it is out. (laughs) It has been birthed and now we can keep going. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I do plan to do some conferences and I'm looking to book some singing and some speaking. And so, hey, podcast listeners, if you know of anybody who wants me to come to their church or to speak at their assembly, I am more than happy to share my music in person. Fantastic. With that, I want to thank you for recording and releasing this music and then being willing to come back on here and uh, share some more stories and then talk about these songs and why they mean so much to you and how excited you are about them. And I'm excited for you and with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I always enjoy speaking with you. You you have great questions and I love reliving my childhood with you. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And congratulations again on your book. I'm just so happy to have read it. It's been another day when it seems like faith eludes me. Everything's been so confusing. Fear got the best of me. I'm lying here worried about tomorrow Cause the weight of everything I don't know It's so heavy I can't sleep But the truth remains the same Even when I don't know what to pray What I know is you my God When you were just a breath away Through it all I've got a hold To what I know That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jennifer McGill for being my guest again, and to you for listening. Next time, we've got another first for the show. I've interviewed a few Disney legends and some people who have thoroughly studied Walt Disney, and I'm grateful for all of those. Next time, though, I get to share with you an interview with someone who is not only a Disney legend, but an Imagineer who worked with Walt Disney himself. So next time, come back to hear from Imagineer Rolly Crump. If you're doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, blog, writing or performing music, art, whatever, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney's done, I'd love to hear from you, too. In all of these cases, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 
two, three story and tell me about your experience. And if you want to be interviewed for the show, let me know and we'll talk about it. Remember, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like In the Shadow of the Matterhorn by past guest David Smith, Walt Disney, The Mouse That Roared by Jeff Lindbergh, and of course my book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. By the way, all three of these were read by Tales from the Mouse House podcast co-host Al Kessel. And if you were listening earlier in the episode, that promo that I played was for Al's podcast, just because inside the voice actor studio. Now to download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Stitcher just recently added the ability to rate and review podcasts, and because that's so new, I don't have any there yet, so if I could get a couple this week, I would really appreciate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. For example, in this one, I've got links so you can get to iTunes or to Amazon to purchase any or all of the songs from Jennifer's new EP. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too and get all these great stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.